Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to Impact Cyber Church. And as I tell you, every week you're going to church with people all over the world. Now, listen, we're not trying to replace local church. That's not what we're talking about. You need fellowship. You need connection. But I'll tell you what we are trying to do. We're trying to make sure that no matter where you are in the world, you have the opportunity to hear this message about how good God is, about who you are in Jesus, about all the promises of God, so that you can live in victory and have a great, great life. Now, this month we're doing a series on dignity and worth. And it's one of the most powerful life-changing messages that God ever gave me that I ever developed and it's helped people, thousands of people all over the world for over 25 years from the first time that I ever preached this message. And today we're going to be talking about your internal hierarchy and you're finally going to understand why you struggle with trusting the same people, making the same decisions, getting in the same circumstances, but you're going to figure out how to get out of it. I'll be right back. Don't go away. You know, I've got a great free message for you this month called Seeing Yourself as God Sees You. There are few things that will transform your life as much as coming to understand and believe how God really sees and feels about you. Be sure and download this. It's a life changer. Based on your background, there could be any number of ideas that you have in your head about why you're struggling with the problems that you're struggling. So many times, you know, if you come from a word of faith background, then you think, well, I just absolutely don't have enough faith. If you come, you know, from a deliverance background, then you think, man, I need devils cast out of me. If you come from a a background that emphasizes anointing, then you think, I just don't have enough anointing. In other words, whatever your religious background is, is going to tend to shape how you interpret the struggles that you have in life. And very seldom do any of these backgrounds really focus in on the key transformation power of the new covenant. I want you to understand something. Other than believing on Jesus as Lord, there is nothing more important than connecting to God with an awareness of the fact that you are in Jesus and therefore you have a new identity. And when you have a new identity, you're able to walk through this process of identity, self-image, self-worth, and self-confidence. And I'm telling you, you transform your life. But until that becomes the focal point, then you're always going to be trying all these, what I call spiritual gimmicks, the latest fad to try to solve your problem. And you know, when you do this kind of stuff, you get some kind of momentary relief, but then you fall right back in the same trap. Now listen, if you're tired of falling back in the same trap, you want to watch every program in this broadcast about dignity and worth. And if you can, you want to get the dignity and worth series. And when my new book comes out, I'll even have more in my book than I have in my teaching series. Or you might want to attend a Dignity and Worth seminar somewhere in North America because I have them in various places all over North America. And it is a life-changing seminar workshop where you put things into practice and transform your life right there, right in that place. Now, listen, 
this internal hierarchy, and we talked about this last week, and if you didn't see last week's program, you need to go back and watch it right away. Last week, you were introduced to what I call the internal hierarchy, which is what makes up our life matrix. Now, this internal hierarchy is a series of beliefs that through which every time we get ready to make a decision, that decision is filtered. Every opportunity that comes to us, that opportunity is filtered through our hierarchy of beliefs. And at the root of that hierarchy is identity, and then there's self-image, and then there's self-worth, and then there's self-confidence. And when you see a potential opportunity, you will qualify or disqualify yourself for that opportunity based on that internal hierarchy, the beliefs that you have about who you are, about your value to life, whether or not you're worthy, and whether or not you believe that you'll see something through till the end. So every decision you make goes through this, and this is why if we don't change the beliefs of our heart, which is how we change our internal hierarchy, then we never change our life matrix. Now, the life matrix, that is the core belief about yourself. And, you know, we talked last week and we defined what a matrix is. You know, a matrix is where all the data is stored that controls everything that's happening in a person's life or in a particular situation. It's what programs us. It's where our programming comes from. And so every decision that we've ever made has been based on this life matrix, which comes from this internal hierarchy of, of identity, self-image, self-worth, and self-confidence. Now, this internal hierarchy determines if we feel qualified or worthy of the opportunities that are in front of us. You know, in the book of Ecclesiastes, I think it's 9, 11, or maybe 9, 13, the wisest man in the world said, listen, I've looked and I've seen under the sun that the race isn't won by the fastest and, you know, the battle doesn't go to the strongest and, you know, something else doesn't go to the wisest. He says, but time and chance happens to every man. You know, that verse, oh man, that has been such a determining verse for my entire life because I realized the first time I ever saw that, that the Bible says that time and opportunity comes to everybody. The question is, do we see those opportunities and do we have the heart to respond to opportunities when we see them? Our life matrix is going to interpret the opportunities before us. And sometimes what another person sees as an incredible opportunity, we see as a threat. We see it as an opportunity to fail where somebody else sees it as an opportunity to succeed. And all that is happening because of how you see yourself, what you believe about yourself. And now keep in mind, you can never see yourself properly until you grasp the reality that you are in Christ and that everything that God does and how he sees you and relates to you is based on the fact that you are in Christ. So, what are these core beliefs that comprise our internal hierarchy? As I said, it's identity, it's self-image, it's self-worth, and then ultimately that is expressed in our life and that determines our self-confidence. Now, I want you to realize that, you know, when Adam was created, and, you know, I say this all the time, the foundation of faith, the foundation of trusting God starts with believing the biblical account of creation, which if you don't trust that God created all that is in six 24-hour days, you need to get my book, Apocalypse, because we now know that 
all of creation happened exactly in the time frame that God said it happened in. And if you don't trust God in the area of creation, then you are undermined right off the bat to trust Him in other areas of life. But the second place from which your faith proceeds is, did God really create you or create man in His likeness and image? And I'm telling you, how we answer those two questions is going to ultimately color everything that we're ever going to believe about God. Now, when Adam was created, you got to realize he woke up and he immediately saw and experienced the total love and total acceptance of his creator. Now, the way man was created, this is really unique. And remember, everything that God did to work for us, if we get into unbelief, in other words, if we don't trust God, if we don't trust God's process, if we don't trust how God says these things work and put them into practice, then the very things that God gave us to be strengths and to work for us will work against us because we will use them in a destructive manner. So, you know, Adam, he had this capacity to give and receive love because God gave him this capacity. God created him. You know, God is love. And the thing about love is love is meaningless until it can be given away and experienced by another person. And so God had to create man in his own likeness and image so that there would be other beings that would have the capacity to know, feel, receive, and give God's love. And so I want you to tell you something. Before we got perverted and before sin came in the world and before we got so many goofy beliefs about God, Adam woke up and I'm telling you, he knew and felt and experienced God's love. So we were created to look outside of ourselves to answer the questions. Who am I? Who do I need to be to be accepted? What makes me love? See, because of this factor, because this is the way God created us, then one of the problems is if we don't know who God is, and I'm talking about who God is as Jesus himself taught, modeled, and proved through the death, burial, and resurrection. If we don't know that God is love, if we don't know that God can always be trusted, if we don't know and believe that you can always rely on God, that his word is always going to be the very best solution, and that he always wants the best for you, and he's never the one hurting you. If you don't know and believe that, then the truth is, then you can't really have biblical faith because biblical faith is about trusting God. So if you're not really trusting that this is who God is, you're not going to be looking to God as your source of identity. You're going to look to somebody outside of you. And so these negative beliefs, which are really unbelief, if you don't believe the truth about what the Bible says about God and His nature, or what Jesus displayed and interpreted about God and His nature, then you are in unbelief. It's not just the issue of, well, I believe something else. No, you are rejecting God's Word. You're rejecting what Jesus came to show us. You're not intending to, and you're choosing a belief about God that is unscriptural, that's destructive, and it will undermine your entire life. Because see, being afraid that God is angry, being afraid that He will hurt you, in other words, that He can't be trusted, that is the root of all of man's problems. Now, the idea was that we would see God as He is and that we would look to Him for our identity and He would become our source. Now, keep in mind, since most people don't know the truth about God, they look to other people to discover 
this sense of identity, self-image, and self-worth. Listen, I'll be back in just a few minutes, and we'll nail this stuff down, and we'll take you on a journey that gets you where you want to go and helps you understand who you really are in Jesus. Listen, if you're tired of feeling bad about yourself, if you're tired of not liking who you are, and you're tired of the way that's affecting your relationships and your walk with God, then you want to get my series, Dignity and Worth, a 10-CD series with two bonus CDs, which means you're going to get 12 CDs. Two of them are going to be a free gift to you because I want to invest in you. And I want to tell you, this is going to give you the tools you need to walk through a life transformation and change your sense of dignity and worth. All right, I want you to understand something, and you can't beat yourself up, you can't get down yourself, but if you have any negative concepts of God, if you have any dread of God hurting you or bringing pain or or even allowing pain into your life, or if you feel so bad about yourself that you just don't think God accepts you or that you're worthy of the good things of God, then you have either directly or indirectly been influenced by religion. Now, I want you to understand Any view of God outside of what was expressed through the life, the teaching, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, any way of interpreting God outside of who Jesus is, is religion. And religion comes from Lucifer. Lucifer brought the whole idea that God couldn't be trusted, that you had to be afraid of him, and that you really weren't who God said that you were. All of that came from Lucifer, and all of that became part of the whole religious system out there. And there's a lot of great people who love God and are strong in other areas, and you appreciate them in other areas, but man, they are tied up in this whole concept of God being afraid. So religion has made it almost impossible for people to find acceptance from God, which means their internal hierarchy is all messed up. So let's discuss these four internal factors. The identity, which answers the question, who am I? Well, identity, you know, starts with the fact that we're looking for someone or some group that will accept us with whom we can identify. Now, stop and think about that. The message that religion has taken to the world has been this. You know, God can't love or accept you the way you are. God has no value for the way you are. So you need to get saved. And so then you get saved, and then religion says, now God can only love and accept you and approve of you if you do everything right. So, man, it's like communism. You know, communism makes promises, and it says, if you'll do this, this will happen. As soon as you get close to that happening, they move the goalposts down another 50 yards. In other words, you never, ever, ever get to experience what you were promised to get. And that's what religion does. Religion moves the goalposts every time you think you're close enough to be able to get whatever it is that you're going to earn. And, you know, and all of that, all of that is just absolutely unbiblical. It's demonic. It will destroy you. So if the church doesn't accept us, and, you know, many Christians have trouble accepting people who are struggling with sin, who aren't born again. You know, what do you expect sinners to do? I expect them to sin. I expect them to do exactly what I did, you know, before I came to Jesus. And I expect believers to struggle with some of the same things I struggled with after I came to Jesus. But the point is this. Everyone is looking for a person or a group to accept them. And if we don't accept people. Now, that doesn't mean we approve. I want you to understand that. You're not saying that what they're doing is all right. You know, there's a whole movement today that 
kind of presents the idea of God's love as everything's all right. It really doesn't matter. Nothing matters. What you do doesn't matter. Let me tell you something. Everything you do matters. Everything you believe matters. Not so much that it, it doesn't change God's view of you, but it changes what you can believe in your heart. It changes how life is going to work for you. So we're all looking for someone to accept us. And once we find someone that accepts us, we're going to begin actually starting to want to become more like them. And listen, you know, people join gangs, people join churches, people join political groups, people join all kinds of organizations where they have the opportunity to find acceptance because we can never, ever, ever discover our identity alone. We're always looking to that source outside of ourselves to see if they're actually accepting us. Now, once we find someone with whom to identify, and then we want their approval. And this starts bringing about the development of our self-image. Our self-image emerges from their approval. And so what we begin to do is we begin to become more like the people who are accepting us. You know, Interestingly, even people who are loners that don't identify with the group, they're identifying with some idea they have in their mind. They might even be identifying with somebody they saw in the movies or something. You know, when I grew up, I always saw myself as a loner when I was young. You know, when I would hear a song about somebody falling in love and then leaving and being miserable the rest of their life, that was about me. If I watched a Western, you know, because Westerns were popular in the 50s when I was growing up, if I watched a Western and the cowboy finds a girl that loves him, but in the end he rides off in the sunset alone, that was me. I always saw myself as having to be alone and never settling down. That didn't come because there was anybody in real life that was influencing me that way. It just evolved, and I saw myself as that person. Even loners identify with somebody, even if it's imaginary. So in order to gain approval, I begin, and it's subconscious. Well, sometimes it's conscious, but mostly subconscious. I begin to transform myself to become like the source of my identity. I change my image to fit in and to find continued acceptance. I dress the way they dress. If they have tattoos, I'm going to get tattoos. If they wear clothes that are 50 years out of date, I'm going to wear clothes that are 50 years out of date. If they smoke or if they drink, I'm going to smoke and drink. If they're violent, I'm going to be violent. I will become like them in order to sustain their acceptance and to begin to feel valuable. Now, one of the greatest misunderstandings that we have about the love of God is this, that love at its core is all about value. How much value do you have for someone? This is why kids whose parents never spend time for them, even though the parent may be providing a good living for them, maybe doing all these things, that kid is just saying, you know what, your work is more valuable or more important than I am. And so that child who grows up in a great home ends up not feeling loved because where the parents put their emphasis, where the parents put their time has so much to do with how valuable they are and whether or not their parents are reinforcing them. You know, so many times parents, all they do is tell kids what's wrong with them, point out all the places that they're failing instead of pointing out the places that they're succeeding. But our self-worth, you know, we find somebody to identify with should be God. Then we start to take on the image of whoever it is that we're identifying with. And you know, the scary thing about this, this means like if you've got a crazy concept of God, you will begin to be transformed 
into that crazy concept of God. Because you know, when you get saved, man, you want to serve God. You want to please God. You want God to be satisfied with who you are. And so if you think God is mean, you'll get mean because you're going to become like him. If you think God is legalistic, you'll get legalistic. If you think God rejects people who have problems, you will reject people who have problems because you want to be like the God that you believe in. And then you want to feel that value that you have from being like him. So as I alter my image, I'm going to measure my worth by the response of those people around me. Now, self-worth is the absolute deepest need that a man has. As I said, the Greek word agape, which is the New Testament word for love, is about value, to hold in high regard, to have esteem. So love is actually value or worth. I mean, stop and think about it. The Bible says that even when we were yet sinners, God had value for us. He held us in high esteem. He had high regard for us. We were important to him. And sadly, you know, that is not the message that religion sends to the world. You know, if we started actually preaching the gospel to the world, man, we would be telling the world how much God loves them and how that he expressed his love by what he has already done through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would be talking about all the good things and, you know, instead of talking about all the bad things and all the tests and all the trials and all that kind of stuff, which ain't nothing but a bunch of victimized self-pity that's glorifying your suffering. Listen, we feel loved to the degree that we feel valued, precious, held in high esteem from those to whom we look for acceptance. So the value that is given to me from my source of identity is the value and the worth, i.e. worthiness and love that I will ultimately have for myself. Now, behavior then is a direct expression self-worth. In other words, I'll do what I need to do to be valued by my source of identity. What they value becomes what I value. Immorality, violence, all destructive behavior is driven by the need to prove my identity, to gain acceptance, and to feel self-worth. Now, behavior then affects or determines self-confidence. You know, there are two aspects of self-confidence. There's the natural aspect of self-confidence that's based on how we follow through on task, whether or not we do what we say we're going to do. And when we fail to follow through on task, we become less willing to launch out and to try new things because we don't really believe that we'll see it through. We think that we'll quit before we get there. And I'll tell you, our whole system becomes programmed to quit a diet at the second week or to quit working out, you know, 10 days into the program or whatever, because we have these cellular memories that remember and remind us. But more than anything, our self-confidence comes from our behavior and how we treat people, whether or not we are walking in love toward other people, according to the Apostle John, has more to do with our confidence than anything else. And if we're not walking in love, we don't have confidence before God. If we're not treating people the way Jesus treated people, then we will not have confidence and we will not be able to receive the promises of God. We won't be able to receive the answers to our prayers. We will always be struggling because we don't feel worthy or we don't feel like that we'll see things through to the end. Listen, I'll be back with a mentoring moment. Don't go away. You want to know how to solve these problems. You know, if this is speaking to your heart, man, if you're getting stirred up to feel better about yourself right now, go online and you can download this series, Dignity and Worth, and you can begin making your transformation today. Don't wait another minute.
You know, one of the things we try to do here at Impact Ministries is to follow the biblical pattern of house-to-house meetings and then public meetings. And we have house-to-house meetings through the people who have I-groups, who get together with their family or their neighbors or their friends. They use these broadcasts or sometimes our books and teaching CDs or DVDs, and they actually have Bible studies using this material. And then we have public meetings when I travel around all over the country and people come together who are making this journey with us. Be sure this year, go ahead and plan to be with us October for World Changer Weekend. You can look at my website and get the dates on that. And also in November, November the 4th, 5th, and six, I'm going to be in Victoria, B.C., doing a Wired for Success seminar with By Design. And so you can look on our website and you can get the link to register for both of those seminars. And I want to encourage you to be there. And by the way, if you'll download our free mobile app, you'll always have the latest up-to-date information about where I am and what's going on. You know, this whole journey in identity, self-image, self-worth, and ultimately, self-confidence starts with what you believe about God. Now, one of the things that we need to do, we need to ask ourselves, what are the negative beliefs I have about God? And, you know, you might just need to make a written list. These are, you know, I'm afraid that when I do something wrong, you know, God will get even with me. I'm afraid that God will let the devil attack me. I'm afraid, you know, God will punish me. And then you need to go back and reread the Gospels and initially, don't look so much for Jesus' teaching, even though you want to do that, because sometimes we interpret Jesus' teaching by our predetermined beliefs rather than letting Jesus' teaching direct our predetermined beliefs. But just start with how Jesus treated people. Because any belief that we have that's not based on what Jesus revealed to us about God is actually a form of darkness. And when we begin to go into darkness, you know, darkness sounds, man, it sounds ominous. It sounds horrible. It sounds wicked. And it can get there. But darkness is just, it can be just enough of a veil or enough of a shadow over our eyes that we just don't see the truth as it really is. But Jesus is the only basis for interpreting God. And so take that list of beliefs and go through it. Maybe you might realize, you know what? Jesus never made anybody sick. Jesus might have told people to get out of sin, but he never rejected them. Look at how Jesus treated people. And the only people that Jesus ever rebuked or had a hard word for were the religious people who were perverting the Word of God and making it impossible for people to see God as He is. Find out if your beliefs really came from what Jesus presented us about God or if your beliefs came somewhere else. And anything you can't see in the life of Jesus, it's time to get rid of it. It's time to send that away. Choose and make the choice. I choose not to believe this. And then ultimately, you'll be able to go back and look at His teaching and death, burial, and resurrection. And man, your life will change. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com, with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.